0: Let's start. So very happy to be with you again. And so let's continue a little bit from what we did this morning. So this morning, we looked at the different type of letting go. I mean, they're not only those types, but it could be a way to orient ourselves with letting go. So we talk about after we talk about in the middle. And so this afternoon, I want to look about what I called at the beginning and before. And here to see that meditation is very much going to again help us. I mean, again, it's not the only way to help us to let go, to creatively engage, to de but it can be very helpful there. So what do I mean by at the beginning? There is a fact that as we do mindfulness meditation, then actually we are again with these two aspects of meditation, the focusing and the exploring. With the focusing, I think it's very important not to see, yes, to be on the breath can be really restful. And at the same time to be mindful using the breath, the body, or sound can actually also help us to be with our habit in a different way. So instead of either being stuck in the habit or either of judging ourselves for our habits, actually the focusing can help us to see. Our habits more clearly, but in a friendly way. Because I think when we do meditation, it's as much doing the exercise as the attitude we bring to the exercise. So when we do the meditation, the mindfulness, one of the key components of the attitude is friendliness. So actually, as we start to meditate, already there is that kind of attitude we bring to it of friendliness, of loving kindness. This I think is very important. And then after that, there is focusing in a friendly way, exploring in a friendly way. So we're not kind of like going on a kind of extermination of something or eradication of something but we're really gently looking at what's going on. In a way, meditation is very much about what's going on in my thought, in my emotion, in my sensation, in this moment. And that way, actually, whenever, I mean, there was a great teacher who said, you know, a thousand times you have distracting thought. And a thousand times you have the opportunity to come back. But also a thousand times you have the opportunity to see what is it I think. Because often we are in a way embedded, so embedded in what we think that we don't in a way really see it clearly. And so in a way, as we see it again and again and not much happen, what we can really see and that's what personally I discovered with the meditation. Oh, I have a tendency to plan, to daydream, to ruminate, to fantasize, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And each of us might have a little different one, like counting or measuring or whatever it might be. And each of these are actually creative functions. This is very important. We're not trying to stop planning. Imagining, reflecting, etc. But actually, we're trying to help it to come back to its creative functioning. So, in a way, it's kind of oh, I am planning. Oh, I am daydreaming. And also, I mean, we can to me what is also interesting with the meditation is that you have the level of creating functioning, planning, daydreaming, etc. But we also have another level which I think really can help us with let go and that meditation can help us to see that actually we do a lot of selfing. What do I mean by selfing? Look at me. I exist. Don't forget me. I am here. And then we kind of like have this what I call meaning thought, kind of like even uh, kind of what I think about myself, what I think about other think about myself, what I think about myself, that other think about myself. So it's kind of like a lot of revolving, I would say me. And it seemed to me that one of the beauty of meditation is we don't have to stop that, the me. But by just coming back to the breath over time, it goes which gives you again more space to think in creative way that I exist and I don't need to think about myself all the time. I don't need to think about what other think about myself all the time and so on and so forth. And that slowly can go down. And then if that slowly go down, then the self is less little bit on this kind of intense dense model and more with the condition inner and outer that are in the experience. And so what I mean by the beginning is a fact that over time, with the second aspect, we also see that we are not the same all the time. This is a very important point. Sometimes we feel stuck. So it doesn't mean we don't have a tendency to repeat. It doesn't mean we don't have a tendency to kind of do things again and again. What I mean by we don't do it all the time is that we don't do it every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, and so on and so forth. You cannot keep up anything, whatever it could be. So, which means that a lot of the time, we are just, what I would say, creatively functioning. And then, time to time, we get stuck. But we don't get stuck out of the blue because we are a bad person or because the world is a bad place. But we get stuck because we have patterns and we have reactivities. And a lot of the reactivity is actually a survival mechanism. And so in a way, possibly what the meditation can help us is develop possibly a more creative, responsive mechanism. And so what meditation helps us to see, okay, we're not, this is very important, this is key. We're not always like this. We're not always intense, we're not always angry, we're not always fearful, etc., etc. So then the question comes, how does it feel not to be like this? So meditation can help us to be more aware, oh, I am fine now. I am not reactive now. This is very important. I am not caught in the pattern now. And then to see a little bit the difference, to me this is what's so interesting in daily life. Is like you feel okay, I am fine, feeling, and then suddenly it's like, oh, I feel a little different. I feel a little unpleasant, or I feel something is a little, mm, wrong. Or so you something has shifted. Something is kind of a little different, and those moments. With the meditation with the mindfulness will be more aware of this shifting moment. So at the beginning means we won't be aware of the middle, we won't be aware of them at the end, but now we're starting to be more aware at the beginning. And what we start to notice is that actually there is what I call signs, that actually something we have that share, because something triggered us. And generally something triggered us because we had a contact with something which actually gave us a certain tonality, a lot of the time, unpleasant tonality. But we are triggered because of this contact, because of this condition, but also because of contributing factors. So I think it's very important to see that sometimes you have the same condition and we're not triggered and we're really fine and calm and we think, wow, meditation has really helped me. This which was triggering me is not triggering me. This is fantastic. I've really let go. And then two weeks later, you react again to that thing. You did not react two weeks before. And you think, wait a minute. I thought meditation saved me. And actually what happened two weeks later and why we react is because of contributing factors. And for me, what mindfulness can really help us in terms of this letting go, this creative engagement is to become more aware of the contributing factors. And some of the contributing factors are sleeplessness, busyness, and uh, stress. And so one of the contributing factor we could say at the moment has been COVID, COVID COVID-19. You see what is interesting with COVID-19 is that from the beginning, in a way we had hoped, at some point, it will stop. Especially Buddhists, COVID-19 should be impermanent. And the problem uh, with COVID-19 is that we kind of have the impression, okay, in six months' time, we'll be free. In a year's time, we'll be free. And then uh, what we have realized is actually... COVID-19 is super duper impermanent. And that the impermanence make it, makes it even more contagious, which we did not know about that. We've discovered something about virus, that the more it propagates, the more it renew itself, the more it changes. And unfortunately, it seems it gets more contagious. So in a way, it's kind of interesting with COVID-19. We have always this hope. Finally, we'll have a permanent change with this situation when actually again and again, we have the rug kind of, you know, pulled underneath us. And so in a way, we have to adapt again and again. And I think this is like a macro, a big situation we find ourselves in to also consider at the moment as a contributing factor. I think it's a strong one for some people, not everybody, but for some people. So in a way, with this, what we're doing with this at the beginning, we start to actually, it's nearly like uh, a prevention, not so much a prevention, but to notice, oh, there is a shift, to notice, ah, I am upset because of that contact, or I am getting really upset because I did not sleep well or whatever. And then the letting go is in actually helping us to remedy this, helping us to kind of know, ah, there is this difficulty. Like when I was um, in the old days, uh, I used to travel a lot. I have not traveled for the last uh, year and a half. When I used to travel a lot, I used to go to airport a lot and I used to get stressed in airport until I realized, hey, going to airport stresses me. And in a way, what can I do to prevent that in a way to not have this reactive kind of pattern? So then I organize myself. So I would have things to uh, kind of to read. I would have different element, which would, in a way, make the experience much less stressful. So I think it's kind of like, how can I help myself? Or knowing that you're going to have a very busy week. And then, like, that's what happened to me this week. I had a very, very busy week. And so I was supposed to give interviews to people. And as soon as I saw I have to take care of my mother full time. I said, no way, I cannot add more. So I kind of just sent an email, come do this, can't do that. Let's do that in a week or two. So, you know, it's kind of noticing, oh, this is really going to stretch my limit. So can I reduce the stress? Can I help myself so that in triggering moments, in difficult contact, with difficult contributing factor, in a way I will be less affected. So I see this at the beginning, in a way as taking care of ourselves and really being creative each for ourselves to notice a signal. Oh, it's the same like, I love gardening, but if I'm in, I had some of, that's one of the problem with COVID-19 and me, is that uh, I did too much gardening because that was what was left to do. And then I got uh, terrible pain in the back. And so after having these three bouts of lumbago, now, okay, I'll do the garden in its own time, but I really, really, really must not overdo it. So, in a way, I look at the garden and I let go constantly. I should behead this, I should do this, I should do that. Never mind. The garden can't survive. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like being careful that, you know, we're kind of going, oh, I must do this, I must do that. But actually, we can't. So, in a way, letting go. So, in a way, it's kind of really seeing what is going to be helpful for myself and others. Because often we are not kind of alone. We are sharing life with others. And if we become stressed, then we become a little less nice to others. So, and vice versa, of course. So in a way, kind of seeing kind of the whole picture. So that's for that one. And then the other one is before. And before is interesting because it's really about the power of awareness, the power of meditation. And so I know when we sit in meditation, often we don't feel that much is happening and generally not a lot is happening, but actually the main effect of meditation is just the fact that you come back again and again and you question, and you are aware of change again and again and again. This is really what the meditation is about. Of course, you might have insight, you might have great calm, at and great quietness. But in terms of letting go, the main point of the meditation is actually building the strength of this coming up, building the strength of this inquiry so that over time we're actually building the strength of what I call creative awareness, creative mindfulness, which then can be activated, activated before the patterns comes in. Because often what happens with the pattern is that we cannot feel I can't help it, I can't stop myself. I cannot not do it. And then we've after at the beginning, we see the pattern, it arises, and then we remedy it. We have different means by which we remedy it. And the Vita Santana Sutta is very much about that. The thing as a reason, how can we remedy? What kind of medicine can we use here? But what I is interesting with before is the fact that actually through the mindfulness, through the meditation, we build the power of creative awareness, so that actually, we also, what I would say, build the courage of seeing differently, the courage of doing differently. And so in a way, when we meditate, I feel we're also building the power of intention. The power of intention of being creative when we can. Doesn't mean being creative all the time, 100% degree, but at time, it coming up. So I'll just give you an example. And this is uh, long ago, I had uh, this very terrible uh, pattern that if people uh, did something which was unpleasant to me, then I would freeze them. So, and if I lived in community, this would I mean, I started to do this when I was very young as, I think, a survival mechanism. And I did lots of meditation, but I still did it. Uh, in the early years, and I used to live in community in England. And then, if somebody said something to me, I would not look at them, I would not talk to them, I would kind of really ignore them, maybe day on end, and things like that. And then one day, somebody said something to me, I was upset. And then the next day, We were in community. I was going to the kitchen for breakfast and I heard the voice of the person. And I could see what was interesting for me at that moment is that, you know, I was feeling well, I had forgotten. And then I heard the voice. So contact trigger. And I could feel the pattern of arising of freezing the person. And then suddenly, this voice telling me, or it's not so much a voice as a kind of like a movement, but could not you do something different? It's kind of like there was this habitual pattern emerging and something within me questioning that. Do you need to do this now? And it was kind of in a way Could not you do something else? And then at that point, there was this fear. It was like, but I have never done anything else before. This is my way of reacting. This is my way of protecting myself. How could I do something else? It's very frightening. And then this courage to say, well, this one's let's try something different. And so this one's I tried something different. And that's why I realized why don't we change sometimes painful pattern is because actually there is the fear of the unknown, something we've not done before. So I went over the fear, went into the kitchen, smiled at the person talked normally and everything. And then there was this incredible, ah, and it was so peaceful. There was kind of like this really, I would say major letting go in terms of really great peace, great relaxation. And suddenly asking myself, this feels so good. Why did not you do it before? That was a question for me. Why did not, I? this feels so good. Why did not I do this before? And I realized I did not do it before, before because my creative awareness did not have enough power. The power of the reaction built over years was stronger than the power of the meditation. And so I think we have to see that when we meditate, we are actually cultivating that power of creative awareness. And then the second thing which happened then was that this compassion arose. And I realized in that moment how much my pattern must have hurt the other person. Imagine not being seen, talked to by somebody. This is extremely painful. And I realized it had been very selfish i had been protecting myself in a very selfish way. And so after that, I never, ever did this again. And this time out of compassion. And I thought to myself, of course, people can hurt you and everything, but I'll find a different way to deal with it. I am not going back to that because it's so uncompassionate to do this, but I had not seen it before. So that's what I mean by before, the fact that suddenly, actually, we see a possibility for something else. And through that something else, we see more of the whole picture, which then allows for more creative responses. And it seems to me that this COVID situation has also asked us that. To me, this was kind of like a little, not all of us, but for me, very, it was, in a way, an opportunity to do something different. And one of the things which really struck me is, I'm going to be different in my close relationship. And since then, I have really seen and I can see in others how it's so easy to introduce unpleasantness in a relationship. The way you nag the person, the way you kind of, kind of, you know, uh, kind of uh, give little nasty remark to the person or minor things. And often what I found at the moment is people do things and I see, well, I could I could say this, of course, I could make fun of them, I could nag them, I could do this, but what would be the point of doing this? What would be the point of doing this? And so I find myself uh, lots of this thing I don't do anymore. And I find that interesting that I can see that yes, you could do it. But really, what would be the point of that? And I think this actually creates what I would call a kinder relationship. And so I think this is something we can explore in terms of relationship. In a way, how can there are lots of patterns uh, within relationship? And how can we bring creativity to that? And so in term, of the meditation, I would like uh, to suggest we do this afternoon, as a kind of like working on this, on these two aspects, but especially the second aspect of before is what is called Mudita meditation. So Mudita, M-U-D-I-T-A is actually appreciative joy altruistic joy. And so this is a meditation when you repeat certain sentences as a mean to orient towards something. And to me, very much this is about intention. This is about perception. And so this is sentences I want to introduce in the meditation. So the first one is appreciating my This your efforts. The next one, so I'm going to write the first one. Appreciating, try not to make a mistake. This your efforts. Then rejoicing. Um, in my this your happiness, etc., and then being grateful for this existence, potential. Voilà. So. You can say just one of the sentence and you generally do it inwardly, silently, but also through experience and through intention. But I will uh, guide it. And just briefly, why? So this is a practice, which is a traditional Buddhist practice. And I, the phrases are my own. They're not the traditional phrases. Appreciating my, this, your efforts because often we put effort and effect. So if I don't get the effect, I have not put in the effort. But actually, regardless of effect, often we put in a lot of effort. And also, sometimes we think, well, I can do it. Why can't they? Well, because they don't have the same conditions. So I think to me, it's very important to appreciate our efforts, and to appreciate all the efforts and recognize it, then rejoicing in my happiness, your happiness, your success, your growth, your wisdom, whatever you want to put there. And why is that? Is often we we'll have the, we have this trend thing. Somebody comes to us and say, Oh, I have this wonderful piece of news. And what do we do? Often we say, but what about this? What about that? And if this happened, and if that happened, and then their bubble of happiness is kind of like, it's kind of like we're afraid in advance. We're kind of frightening them in advance. Instead of they're happy now. This is good news now, why not? Be happy for them now. And later, if there is difficulty, we can help them at that time. So so that, you know, it's kind of strange, this thing with happiness. And also sometimes we feel, well, if they're happy, then they are taking that away from me. Like if happiness is only kind of a little cube, and if they get a quarter, then I'm not going to get that quarter. When actually happiness is immense, many possibility. And then being grateful for this existence, this breath, this potential. So just kind of recognizing in a way what is possible right now within these conditions. And of course, sometimes also just the potential uh, for growth, for clarity, etc. And then we use this with different groups: myself, people, my friends, people who support me, then also for people we don't know. Uh, also, it can be to nature, to animal, also people we have a little difficulty with. And that category is interesting because people generally not very keen on appreciating, rejoicing uh, with people we have a little difficulty with. So not the most difficulty with, but a little bit. And in a way, to see that they too are human beings. So in a way, when we do this practice, I will explain it as we do it. In a way, we're trying to go beyond the idea, the fixed idea we have about ourselves and others. And really reaching out to the human being who is like ourselves, who is breathing, with suffering. And so in a way, going beyond a little bit the difficulty and reaching out the human being. But we can talk more about the practice once we've done it. So shall we try it out? So if we just stand up and stretch just for a few seconds. So if we find a comfortable posture. The back is relatively straight and upright. The shoulders relaxed. Feeling as grounded as a mountain. But also as open as the ocean. Then gently turning our attention toward ourselves, looking beyond what we might like or dislike about ourselves, and reaching out to the human being with a line, with breathing, appreciating my effort. Rejoicing in this calm, being grateful for this existence. And if it suits you, you can recite the sentences silently, inwardly, appreciating my efforts, rejoicing in this calm. Being grateful for this breath. If reciting sentences doesn't work for us, we could connect to experience. What is it I can appreciate right now? What is it I can rejoice in right now? What is it I can be grateful for right now? Or we could orient toward the quality. How does it feel to appreciate something? How does it feel to rejoice? How does it feel gratitude? by expanding our intention of appreciation, altruistic joy, towards people on this Zoom call, appreciating your efforts, rejoicing in your calm, being grateful for your existence, By expanding our intention of appreciation, altruistic joy, to people we like, who support us. Appreciating your efforts, rejoicing in your happiness, being grateful for your existence. Now expanding our intention to people we don't really know, but looking beyond a certain indifferent, reaching out to people who are human like ourselves, who have a history, who breathe, who suffer like ourselves, appreciating your effort. Rejoicing in your happiness, being grateful for your potential. Expanding our intention to people we have a little difficulty with, but looking beyond what is difficult and reaching out to the human being with a life, with breathing, with suffering like us, appreciating your efforts, rejoicing in your understanding. Being grateful for your potential. Expanding our intention to nature, animals, plants, the earth. Appreciating your efforts. Rejoicing in your development. Being grateful for your potential. Coming back to ourselves, appreciating this breath, each breath, being aware of each breath with this appreciation. being aware of this body with appreciation. Being aware of thought with appreciation. Isn't it amazing that we can think being aware of feelings and emotions with appreciation. Being aware of the breath, being aware that we share the breath with everything that breathes. Appreciating that connection with everything that lives, that breathes. So if we can uh, just for a minute, stretch the legs. So, before we start the discussion, I'd just like to make a brief announcement. And uh, this is a little bit about the Dana model of Gaia House, uh, which means that for this uh, course today, uh, you paid a fee to Gaia House. And I'm very grateful if you were able to pay the fee to Gaia House because... Gaia House really, really needs it at the moment, kind of with the COVID-19, it's very difficult financially for Gaia House at the moment. So thank you for any fee you've paid for this course to Gaia House. Me, I uh, don't get anything from Gaia House because it's on the Dana model. So I am giving you this time, and if you appreciate it and you want to make a financial contribution, Uh, through the DANA button or through my PayPal account, then it will be gratefully received. And we want to do this DANA model or not putting a fixed fee on the teaching so that it's more accessible. So some people can give more, other people can give less, and I think that makes it so much more accessible. So that's my little announcement. So thank you for any contribution. So now uh, for our discussion, Then again, you can raise a blue hand if you know how to do this, or uh, you can write in the chat. And if you could write to everyone and then everybody can see your comment or question. So he's asking, I'd be interested to hear how you decided on appreciative joy in this context. So um, you have these four qualities. Uh, that are suggested to be uh, developed in the practice of mindfulness meditation, which are loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. And in terms of the fourth uh, type of letting go, which is in a way uh, building the power of creative awareness, it seems to me that mudita, is, can be especially powerful. Because in a way, with mudita, we're actually cultivating something. So we're not responding to something which is already there. Like there is a painful difficulty or there is a painful reaction and either finally we let go of it or we're in the middle of it and, okay, we're aware of it or we see the condition of it and so we try to remediate. But I feel Mudita, uh, appreciative job, is especially helpful for before. Because in a way, what is part of this patterning, which is painful for us? And generally, the patterning is about kind of in a way, having this kind of like being a little shifted toward this is difficult, this is painful, and it will always be like this. And personally, I think that mudita in a way counteracts that tendency. So, of course, from an evolution point of view, this has been studied scientifically. We need to be more aware of what is painful, dangerous, etc., quicker than what is good in a way, because we need to be, oh, there is danger. So we are actually as uh, human, as creatures, as living creature, living in an environment, we kid to be very fast aware of unpleasant. And so, of course, that's what our patterning will be a little kind of you know, geared to. And personally, I think Mudita actually help with the balance So instead of being aware of what is painful and what are the condition, which of course is useful. To me, I think it's very important experientially to see, oh, right now I am okay. Right now, I can appreciate this. Right now, I can appreciate that. And so personally, when I was in Korea, because in Korea, when I trained at the beginning, they are this big kind of practice of gratefulness, of gratitude. And I could not really understand it, you know, that to be grateful to society, to one's parents, to one's teacher. And I felt, mm. but I felt it afterward. I realized it was actually not taking things for granted, but actually realizing, oh yeah, I live in, I mean, it doesn't mean we become prideful and arrogant about it. But in a way, it's kind of recognizing, oh, yeah, I live in a place where kind of, you know, uh, things are working or I am not in danger. Or To me, this is what was amazing about uh, when COVID-19 and the confinement happened in March 2020. So the confinement happened in France, it was quite strict. And what surprised me, was, oh, we still have electricity, we still have water. Because when I lived in Korea and it was in the winter and it was icy, we would, you know, electricity would stop, water would stop. So things would kind of drastically change and we had to adapt to that. But immediately I was actually grateful that this still worked. And secondly, people, essential workers, made this work. So I had even more gratefulness for all the essential work. So you know to me, mudita is about actually day to day, not moment to moment, but to appreciate, oh, right now I am okay, or right now I am compassionate, or right now this friend is compassionate to me, or right now my body is working, or whatever it might be. So, in a way, counterbalancing this kind of like tendency toward what is painful. And then it's kind of like we set up in motion, a kind of a different playing field, I feel, so that we can more likely be in that state of letting go of before. Oh yes, I can look at this differently. I can perceive this differently. I'm not saying to do this all the time, 100%. But at time, I think it really built a different way to experience the world. So that's why I connected the two together. You mentioned experiencing a very pleasant feeling tone when you were able to let go of your resentment and coolness toward a fellow resident. Do you think the rising of this pleasant feeling tone is a reliable guide to the rightness of action? You see, it was pleasant, but it was not just pleasant as, hmm, I enjoy this music, I enjoy this painting, but it was more pleasant as in it was extremely peaceful. It was extremely calm. It was very clear. It was like a release. So for me, it was a real experience of letting go. It was like I was all this time I had been holding onto something. I'd been tensing around something. And actually, that had also been painful for me, not only for the other person. And it's like in that moment, all this tension, all this holding, all this density, unpleasant density kind of just disappear totally so that I really experienced myself very differently. So you know we' very calm very like it was just like a relief more than being pleasant it was like a relief <sighs> it was like ah <sighs> and so uh, it's what I call the pleasant tonality I mean this is another topic but what the Buddha called... Uh, Uh, The pleasant tonality, which is imbued with wisdom, which is imbued with letting go. And I would say, yes, that tonality of uh, pleasant associating with calm and clarity, I would say, is a good guide. It seems to me for rightness of action. Then... I am really interested to hear your advice on when the attachment difficulty has got very intense. You mentioned patience all earlier. Is there anything else you can suggest? You see, I think to me, what is very important in terms of something is intense. We have to see that something is intense because generally something happened. It's not like you always feel like this, but. Really, something happened, something difficult happened, something shocking happened. So it's certainly like the whole system is kind of, in a way, innervated, one could say. And so the thought goes on, the heart goes on, and the sensation goes on. And so I think it's very important that when we feel this, it's generally tough for us because it's intense and it's like, "Ah," it's kind of nearly hard to breathe. And then generally we feel like kind of blocked. It's kind of like we, we have at the same time, often we have this blocked feeling. We can't think of a solution. We think we have the weight of the world on the shoulder or this is only happening to us. So, I mean, it's kind of like very all encompassing. And in a way, I think it's kind of too... And then we generally go very quickly into solution. Uh, This must stop. This is too hard. This is terrible solution. And we must resolve it like now. But uh, we can't generally. I mean, it's very hard to just kind of like uh, suddenly solve it. It's like, so in a way, it's nearly like we have to digest what's going on we have to let it go through us. And I think sometimes is to remind ourselves, what is it that can help me? Because at that moment, often it's very hard to remember that, what is it that can help me? Not, much, not so much in terms of solution to the problem. I mean, of course, if something is leaking, then you want to stop the water. And not how am I feeling about this, uh, you know? Like if you can do something pragmatic which can stop it, of course. But if you cannot, if there is not kind of like an immediate issue uh, to what's going on, it's like okay, this is going on, and can I have I have some resource? And some of the resource could be. Uh, Calm could be the breath. Some resource could be nature. Some resource could be taking some time out. Some resource could be asking the help of a friend. Some resource could be loving kindness. I mean, we have different kind of resource. I mean, some resource could be I know, eating ice cream, watching TV. I mean, you know, you you can have different type of things. But what is it that could, in a way, in this moment of intensity, give me a little space so that it's not just all intensity. But that could kind of, of course, there is intensity, but is there any little resource I can And of course, patience is in terms of it's going to take a little while to pass. So the patient was about that. I have long COVID and feel challenged during my meditation with uh, distraction and some melancholy. Do you have any suggestion for this and also coping with everyday life? I think uh, long COVID. Is a little similar to Emi insofar that uh, over time uh, you feel a little tiny better, but not fantastically better. I mean, I have a, a friend, a teacher who had long COVID, and for being very energetic, he became somebody who was much less energetic and much less, you can't trust the energy like you could before. And so personally, I would say, in terms of the meditation, possibly don't do it for too long. I would kind of like, maybe do it lying down. And then just maybe do it for 10 minutes. Just maybe do listening to sound or the breath, if that works for you. Because in a way, doing the meditation, you're going to try to focus to some degree to explore to some degree, and that is going to use some energy. And so, very likely, in five minutes, ten minutes, you can have the amount of energy, but maybe not like 30 minutes. Or you can sit longer or lie down longer, but just accept that, yes, you're going to have thought because you're a little tired, and yes, because you have less energy. This is often the thing. What happens when we have less energy? We have a little this kind of it's kind of like we go into a little unpleasant tonality, which we often associate uh, with sadness, and also a little melancholy. I would say too, you cannot be as active as etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, as you used to be. So, for this, I think we have to be careful if one has ME for a period of time or long COVID, that it seems that it it changes very slowly, but it changes a little, you get a little more energy, but you have to be careful that when you have more energy, you don't do too much because then you backtrack. So in a way, I think long COVID is about the management of energy. And so how can I do pleasant things which are not too tiring. Again, you have to have a different uh, notion of time. Before, you could do something in 10 minutes. Now, it might take you half an hour. But then, you might need a week to recover from it. So, possibly, oh, maybe 10 minutes might be better, and then I can recover in a day. And it's also, hopefully, one can be in circumstances like when one can manage it and you don't have too much demand on you because I think that's a big difference. If you have lots of demand on you, then this is much more difficult than if you have less demand on you. So I think it's kind of like um, doing the best you can within the situation. And nearly I would say, what is the least you can do as a mantra, instead of what is the most I can do? I think that's what I would uh, suggest. Then, how do you know what to let go of and what to hold on to? Sometimes you don't have the choice of the letting go or holding on to. But personally, uh, in in a way, I think it's also a bit a question of intention what is our intention? And personally, my intention is to cultivate as much as I can considering the condition, wisdom and compassion for myself and others. And so if I look at what to let go of, what to hold on to, then this in a way for me will be my framework in terms of wisdom and compassion. So if I let go, is this going to help wisdom and compassion? If I hold on, is this going to help wisdom and compassion? Because I don't think there is letting go in an abstract, independent manner, or holding on is bad, or letting go is great. Because we have to be careful, because you could let go. I mean, many years ago, suddenly a guru appeared on the high street. And the guru uh, in that place said, you know, you are free, you are free. So freedom was really the late motif. Everybody needed to be free. And so some parents were so free that they would leave their children at home, go to be with the guru on the other side of the planet. And then the neighbor had to take care of. So they let go of the children. But to me, this is not letting go, you know, this is not wisdom and compassion. You know, and sometimes you hold on and actually it's not helpful for you or others. But then there is kind of how much can I let go? How much am I holding on? And then you can see it's also according to condition. Sometimes you can let go more. Sometimes we can hold on in a very creative and wise way, let go in a creative and wise way, and sometimes not. And I think we also have to accept when we let go in an unwise, uncompassionate way, or when we hold on in an unwise and uncompassionate way, that sometimes we cannot help ourselves. But knowing that this too, in a way, is impermanent, that it be wise letting go and wise holding on, unwise letting go, unwise holding on, at one level, it's all. Impermanent, because of condition. We cannot do anything permanently. Even wisdom and compassion, that is also influenced by condition. We can aim towards it. We can orient towards it. We can help it to be manifesting more, more of the time. But we cannot guarantee it. And then, what are your thoughts on the illusory of self and the capacity to acknowledge the changing nature of experience. So here we have to be careful uh, what we mean uh, by illusory and what we mean by self. Because at one level, we are not illusory. And at one level, we kind of have this strange kind of relationship to ourselves where it's kind of like there is this kind of thing and this is myself and we kind of uh, kind of feel something which seems to be interesting and independent so in a way what is illusory is not the self but that it's intrinsic and it's independent of any other condition that's what is uh, illusory as Ourselves, I would say, what we are, I, I would prefer to talk of an organism. Each of us is an organism. And this organism could be referred to as a flow of inner condition, meeting outer condition. And because of that, some of the condition will remain relatively constant, and some will remain, we kind of be quite changing so one morning you kind of look at the mirror and you look like great and fantastic and wow and then other day you look at the mirror and it's like you've aged 10 years in just two hours and you think wait is this the same person I did not look like this two hours ago I find it so fascinating this that at one level we can look so different and with the same person, if we're tired or not, or whatever it is that happened to us. So to me, what is important is to become more and more aware that this self, this organism is so conditioned by so many different things, and we actually don't know all the condition, it's impossible to know all the condition, inner and outer. But in a way to be kind of creatively engaged, aware as much as we can to this myriad of conditions. And sometimes we'll focus more on that one, sometimes more on this one. And because of impermanence, in part, we're changing, changing of thought, of mood, and also part of us remain a little bit the same. The way we speak, the way we tell stories, the way we like certain music or painting, but we can also evolve of course. So I think to me it's kind of like there is these two things coming together. Something which is a little continuity and at the same time within the continuity, there is a change. And we are the crossroad of that and we're trying to kind of creatively engage with being in that situation. So I don't know if I really answered uh, your comment questions. And then, do you have any thought on how to help someone with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, a fear of pollution? Uh, there is, This is very tricky. Uh, so it's OCD. And actually, OCD, uh, what happens there? Uh, I mean, there is a very good book on this brain lock. Uh, there is a very good book on this brain lock. And then he also wrote that man also wrote a bigger book, which is more kind of a, uh, what is interesting is that in the old day when he wrote that book, he was a Buddhist and he used meditation as a way to deal with ocd he was a researcher in ocd and what he found through his research was that actually what happened in the brain is that one part of the brain gets overactivated and that overactivation is basically sending danger signal so basically you're sitting there And your brain is keeping telling you danger, 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 danger. And because your brain is telling you danger, 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 then there must be some danger somewhere. And often it will be fixated on different things, uh, washing or certain intrusive sort or whatever it might be. And so uh, what he suggested actually Cannot remember totally, but like a four point model, a bit like the Vitaka Santana Sutta, uh, in saying, Oh, I am having this kind of compulsion, not so much because of the pollution, but because my brain is sending an alert signal. Okay, so I have this condition, I have this alert signal. And then can I do something else which divert from acting upon the danger signal? And then there was somebody saying, you know, they would do gardening, some other thing, they would do knitting, or they would kind of like... Because then the problem is that you have a danger signal, then you have, in a way, too much focus on the danger signal, then why... the? explanation for the danger signal, which find itself in pollution or otherwise, and then cannot think about anything else. So his idea was, okay, I have that, not because so much of the pollution, but because my brain is overacting. Now, can I do something which will redirect my brain to another activity and engage me in the activity? And then he had two other things, but I'm sorry, I forgot it. And the, the book is Brain Lock. So uh, this is in a way, and at the same time, you have to, to, you have to be careful of saying to somebody who, uh, as for example, a fear of pollution, to say, no, 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 nothing is going on, nothing is going on. That is not being helpful because they feel like something is going on. It's a bit like my grandma when she was still alive and she would hallucinate and then she would see people in trees. And then I would say, no, 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 there is no people in trees. And she would say to me, you should wear better glasses. And then my husband would come and say to her, yeah, yeah, I see people in tree too. And it made her very happy. So for her, I mean, at that moment, that was the only thing we could do with her. Uh, somebody, a fear of pollution, you have to see how it's harmful to them in some ways. So I think what is important is to really uh, see that at one level, they don't do it on purpose. This is happening to them. So how can you creatively engage the the situation? How you can be creatively supportive? How one can be even calming? Because what would be interesting if someone was OCD is that they don't have it all the time to the same degree. And I would suggest that when they are stressed, when they don't sleep well, they might be contributing factor to having it more. So how can we help them in a way to have less contributing factor so it might be less there? I think they could also be something of that nature. But then I suggested Dr. John Sarno on on this kind of thing. And the book I think it's I recommended it, is Brain Lock. I think that was a I can't remember the name of the author because it, it's kind of like a, a German name, and I can't remember it. Though so he was an American person. Anything else? Any other comment? Any other question? That's it. Jeffrey Schwartz. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. And then he wrote another book, The Mind and the Brain, and that's also very interesting. Actually, our time is up. And thank you very much. And it was very nice to spend the afternoon and the morning with you and i hope we can uh, spend some time again and on the 9th this is a pre i mean you are privileged to a pre-announcement on the 9th of october uh we're going to discuss this tomorrow with stephen but stephen bachelor and me Uh, Martin Batchelor, we're going to do a fundraiser for Gaia House. So on uh, the 9th of October, there will be something special with Stephen and myself. So possibly you'll be able to join us that day. We're going to decide tomorrow what we do, and soon it will be advertised uh, by Gaia House. So please keep well, really keep well. And... Be creatively engaged and let go when you can. Don't worry if you can't sometime. And then if you want to unmute yourself and say goodbye, then please do so. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.